All right, hallelujah. Well, listen, we've been talking um, about, about who dad is, and uh, we've been on a theme there for who dad is, and we've talked about the fact that, that he's a good dad and that there's no punishment left for us, and, uh, and that his perfect love has been poured out unto us, and that Jesus Christ took all the punishment that sin deserved, and so when we approach God then punishment is never in our mind because perfect love casts out all fear. Fear has to do with punishment. So we always approach God with absolute boldness. In fact, the scriptures tell us, therefore come boldly to the throne of grace and ask God for whatever it is that you need. So there's just no fear. Guys, there's no fear in love. Say that, there's no fear in love. You are absolutely right, there's not. And, um, and so then we begin to imagine, okay, wow, that's a huge deal. For many of us, that's a paradigm shift that, that we would come to God when we're afraid as opposed to running away from God because we're afraid. And suddenly your imagination starts to open up to say, wow, what would life look like then if I'm never afraid? Because that's what we've been invited into. We've actually been invited out of being orphaned, out of being completely on our own, this idea of total independence on our own out there, trying to figure out how life works, and then Jesus shows up and says, hey, I've got great news. My Father loves you, and he chooses you, and I love you, and I choose you. And if you believe that my dad is as good as I'm telling you that he is, and you believe that he sent me to tell you that, and to live the life that you should have lived, and die the death that you deserve to die, then you will receive eternal life and my Father will give you not what you deserve, but Jesus speaking, what I deserve. Wow. Wow. That's the gospel. You know, gospel means good news. That's why it's called good news because that is amazing. We started out on our own. We were orphaned. We were outside. And then Jesus came and said, this is what my dad is like. And if you believe in me, then you will have eternal life and you're part of the family. And that's the story, guys. That's the story. The story is that God took us as orphans and put us in his family and then gave us all of the benefits, all of the connections, all of the community, all the strength, all the acceptance, all the joy, and all, all that it is to be a part of his family. And that's what the kingdom is. We're in a family now. And so today what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about then, and I've been saying this over and over again for the last several weeks, it's like, if this is true, how then shall we live? If this is true, if he's a good dad, and, and praise be to God, he is a good dad, and we're now in his family, how then shall we live? And if there's no fear anymore, if there's no fear anymore, and we're invited to be in this family of his love, how then shall we live? What would that look like? And so then we're able to go then and look at the scriptures almost, I think, for many of us, maybe in a fresh way. Because if we've been reading the scriptures through the eyes of fear of being rejected, and now we're, re we're reading the scriptures and realizing that, man, everything in here is an invitation. Everything in here is an invitation. It's an invitation to know God. It's an invitation to know him as he is. And this right here is the history of God with man. And it's an invitation for us to receive from him those very things that he promised. And when you go into the New Testament, you know what that is? That's the culmination, the fullness of time where it says Jesus now has come. And he has called us into the family. He has redeemed all things. So when Jesus said, it is finished, behold, I make all things new. That's where we come in, all things have been made new. And now, now we're part of the family. 
And now we get to go, oh, okay, all right, Dad, cool, I'm in the family, sweet. Okay, Jesus is my big brother. It says that he's the firstborn of many. What are we? We're the many. And Jesus said, as I am, so are you. In the scriptures, as I am, so are you. So now we can say things like this. Hey, Jesus, you're my savior, but you're also my big brother. So we can start asking him questions like, hey, Jesus, um, wow, I'm kind of new to the family. How do we roll? How, how, how do we do this? And so I want to jump in right there and talk about some of Jesus' priorities. And, 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 and Jesus, of course, teaches us about what? The Father. He reveals the Father. I'm going to talk about Dad's priorities. And throughout Scripture, throughout Scripture, what we see is we see, the, we see the creation of man. We see all of creation created. We see the enemy come in and, and trick creation into rejecting God. And then we see a rescue plan of dad coming through and teaching us about what he's like, showing us what he's like, and then Jesus coming and pulling off the rescue. And guys, we've been rescued. We once were lost, but now we're found. We once were out, but now we're in. We once were afraid, but now we're in love. And so we can then go to these scriptures and say, okay, well then, Lord, show me then. How then shall we live? If, now that we're motivated by love, now that we're not afraid, how then shall we live? What are we up to? How do we do? How do we do? And we get to go to the scriptures. And I showed you uh, two weeks ago, and Red also continued on it. We go to the scriptures, and we let it wash us. We, let it, we are washed by the water of the word. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. How? By going to the scriptures and letting the Holy Spirit then show us how we can live. And as we do it, the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to do the things that these, that these scriptures tell us. Not just read about them, not just know about some stuff but to actually do it. So let's get into the scriptures. Here we go. The first scripture I want to begin with. We see God as he's interacting with Israel. And in Zechariah, he's talking to Israel, and he's sharing something about who he is and how he rolls. And he says, I want you to execute true justice. Show mercy and compassion, everyone to his brother, and do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. You guys, as you go through scripture, and let me tell you something, as I was going through preparing for this, there are myriad scriptures about five specific things that you will see again and again and again, and they are on God's heart. They are priorities to him. And what's amazing about it is that he, well, first of all, here's what he cares about. These, these are his top priorities, he loves, he loves, and he is all about loving his kids. And you know what? We are his kids. And you know what? Dad wants his kids back. And he tells us, listen, here's where I want you to look for them. Here's what I want you to see about the good news of who I am and how I roll. He says, I want you to see the widow, the fatherless, the alien, the poor, and it's not in the scripture, but we'll get to it, and the prisoner. You will see again and again and again that dad always points us back to say, listen, I have some priorities. I have some things I want you to know that I'm always going to be looking at. I'm always looking for it. I'm always looking to make sure they're taken care of. And that is the widow, the fatherless, the poor, the stranger or alien. In our, in our vernacular here, we would, say, we would say the marginalized or we might say immigrants. We might say someone of a different color, a different race. Okay, It's the person that's not like you. God sees the person that's not like you. And he says, I want you to treat the person that's not like you just like you treat your own mama. And he's always all about this. And you'll see this again and again and again in scripture. And when nations got in trouble, it's because they were mistreating these five people. These five people groups. These five 
sectors, these, these five priorities for God. So I want to speak to that. So we're looking at the scriptures and we're saying, Lord, we wanna, we, we're not afraid. We're part of a family. What are we up to? And we look at the scriptures and the scriptures tell us that this is what dad's up to. Let me continue. James 1.27 says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. That's what pure religion is. If you want to demonstrate what pure religion is, then you go and you begin to engage with God's priorities by taking care of widows and orphans and by not conforming to the ways of this world. By not conforming to the teachings of this world. You know, um, actually, I'm going to just leave it at that because I want to share some more scriptures. It continues in James 2, 14 through 17. What does it profit, my brothers? If someone says he has faith but he doesn't have works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you don't give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? And thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, this is, a, this is a very important message for us, as it's been for many people in many different times, but it's a very important message for us because we have been raised with a Greek philosophical mindset on what knowledge is. We believe that if I know about something, then that means I must be doing it. We think that to know something is to do it. No. To do something is to do it. You both know what that chair feels like, and you're sitting area is on the chair right now. You are, your faith and your actions have both gotten married, and you know that seat right now. You made a decision. You're here at church today. You both know about what it is to be in fellowship, and you are currently fellowshipping right now. Good job. Your faith is in action. You see the difference there. But if you know about it, but you're not here, your faith is dead in that moment. Your faith means nothing. You just know about something. Well, God is very specific in all of these, in all throughout Scripture, that he doesn't want you to know stuff about him. He doesn't want you to just know stuff about him. He doesn't want you to just know about some of the priorities that he has. He wants us to know him and to be engaged in doing the very things that he's doing. Jesus came and said what? He said, I only do, and he didn't say I only know. He said, I only do what I see my Father doing. And what did Jesus do? He came and laid his life down for us. He came and said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. Why? Because my father didn't come just to be served, but also to serve. And I'm here representing my father. And who does Jesus serve? Who does the father want us to serve? The widow, the orphan, the stranger, the poor, and those that are in prison. See, he's got a priority list. So if we want to say, do I have faith? Look and see where we're serving. Look and see if we're actually engaged in doing the things that Jesus taught throughout of all of all of scriptures. And, and we have to look at these five priorities. And if we are not engaged in this as a people, if we're not engaged in this as a people, then we can, it's okay for us, we can just stop and go, oh, now don't get scared, but just stop and go, oh, dad, I'm, I'm not doing what you're doing. I, I, I know some stuff about you. I know you care about this stuff, but I don't care about that stuff in any real way. I mean, I care, like, oh, I'm posting on Facebook. No, but you're not doing anything yet. You're not doing anything, and so you can just say, oh, Lord, how do you want me to engage then? Because you didn't change your mind about this. Now, here's something that's interesting, and I want to point this out. The, there's, a, there's a very beautiful message in this, and, and the message of the gospel is, freely you have received, freely give. You see, you and I, before we were adopted by God the Father, we were fatherless. 
You and I, before we were betrothed to Jesus, we were widows. You and I, before we were accepted in the beloved, we were strangers. You and I, before Christ, before we died with Christ and rose again because of the cross, we were in prison. And without him, we were poor. Do you see that? So when God says, listen, I want you to act upon the actual things that I have done for you, you must live them out. Not in an ethereal sort of, oh, wow, that's like a faithy, hopey thing, Jesus. That's so cool. No, you actually do these things. You and I do these things. And he says, if you do these things, then you know that you're my disciples. What did Jesus say? If you are my disciples, you will do the things that I command you. And my commandments are not burdensome. Love God with all of your heart, all your strength, and all of your mind. So you notice there's two other things than just mind. There is the knowy part. I love you, Lord. I know that I do. Good. Put, some, put your back into it. That's your strength in your heart, isn't it? So we get to do it holistically. All right, so we engage in that. Isn't that beautiful? And what's the second commandment? What did Jesus say? A new commandment I give you. And what was it? I want you to love your neighbor not just like yourself anymore. No, I'm taking it up a notch, baby, because now I'm in you. I want you to love your neighbor as I have loved you. And how did Jesus love us? Did he say, here, let me open your mind that you can have a knowy kind of feeling about it? No, he came and gave his life and rose again. And then this, and then this is beautiful for us, guys. This isn't just a distant memory. But he actually says, if you will believe in me, I will come and live in you. Christ is literally in you right now through the Holy Spirit. He is in you. He's actually serving you right now. What? Yes, he is. And he wants you to take what he's doing and bring it to the needs of those that he has called us to serve. Do you see that? Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? So there's these five places, though, that he has, he has shown us. So let me continue. Now he says this. And this is Isaiah 58. And he's speaking to the Israelites. And he's like, you guys have lost the plot. You lost the plot. You think, I, you think I just want you to do a bunch of religious gobbledygook to make yourself and me feel better. He goes, is this the fast that I've chosen you? One day to not eat and then you just sit around and argue with each other? I'm paraphrasing. But he goes on to say, no, is this not the fast that I've chosen? This is the one I've chosen. I want you to loose the bonds of wickedness. I want you to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. He's saying, what I've called you to is a fasted lifestyle where there are things that you deny yourself because you're setting other people free. I'm asking you to deal with things that yoke other people. And it continues. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? I'm asking you to share what you have with those who do not have because I shared with you when you didn't have. He's the bread of life. Come on. And that you would bring to your house the poor who are cast out because I brought you into my house. That when you see the naked, that you would cover them and not hide yourself from your own flesh. So he's saying, I'm asking you to prioritize the things that I prioritize. Not in a knowy kind of way. In a dewy kind of way, as the Hebrew puts it. 
If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. Now, this is interesting, and I believe it's important for us to catch in our day and age because we look at people, and it's true. How many of you know that until you are transformed by the renewing of your mind, you're rather foolish? Okay? We were all fools at one time. Okay, But God in his goodness opened up the eyes of our understanding and presented Christ to us and we received him and because of that we became rich and we became part of a family and we became betrothed and we became chosen and we were taken out of slavery and we were taken out of prison and we were put into a family. And Jesus came and said, I didn't come to judge you, I came to save you. So in the same way, when we're looking at the systemic problems of our age, and we're looking at the, at the honestly, the stupidity and the cyclical nature of those that are oppressed and poor and in prison, we go, how dumb can you be? Are you really doing that again? Why are we shocked? Of course they're doing it again. Jesus said we have to be born again or we can't even see the kingdom of heaven. So he says, stop pointing the finger. Stop pointing the finger and speaking wickedness. I'm asking you to engage. I didn't come to judge the world and I didn't bring you here to judge the world. I came here to save the world and you're here to save the world. And you can't do that while you're pointing fingers. That's no different. Anyway, let me just continue. So if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then, say then, then your light will dawn in the darkness and your darkness will be as the noonday. This is a key thing for us, beloved. We will not have the joy and the energy and the excitement and the opportunity to engage in the things that God cares about until we engage. It's when we engage, then your light shall dawn in the darkness. Then your darkness will be as the noonday. And it goes on, then the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones and you'll be like a watered garden and like a spring of water. Those whose waters do not fail. Beloved, you won't have more than enough until you engage with what God is doing. It is then that the overflow comes, not before. Your house, you know, you're like, well, if I had eight rooms and like a lot more time and like tons of energy and just heaps of joy and just a lot of feely knowy things, I would so do it then. No, you will do it and then you will become like a well-watered vine. Then waters will flow. Then God will provide. Then he will strengthen your bones. It won't be before. Don't look for a deep feeling of like, oh, now I'm going to do it. No. You just simply look and say, God, what are you asking me to do? He says, do this. You go, okay, I'll do it. And then you're like, Lord, you know, since I'm doing this, I notice there's some, a whole lot of promises. Lord, I'm reminding you of then. And baby, he will deliver. But it will not be before. It will be in the midst of it. Amen? It continues. Those from among you shall build the old waste places, and you will raise up the foundations of many generations. You will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. You see, as we engage in the work of Christ, as we engage in these very places, we then change systemic poverty. We then change the cyclical damaging violence that is happening to people who are being led like lambs to the slaughter. I want you to understand some very disturbing statistics in our area, and I've shared them before, but in some states in the United States, it's as high as 8 out of 10 people that are in prison right now were in foster care at some time. In the states that it's the lowest, the lowest is 5 out of 10. 
people that are in prison right now spent time in foster care at some point in their life. What's the point? Not that foster care is bad. The point is we had an opportunity to intervene when they were just kids. And we missed that opportunity. So we had to build an external government because these kids never learned how to become sons and daughters. And they don't know how to manage themselves. So we have to lock them up in a management system. Do you see that? And God wants these very beautiful ones that we can engage as they're there. And they're on the list, guys. They're on God's list. The fatherless. The widows. The poor. The marginalized. You see how those overlap suddenly? And then they end up in prison. You see, upstream of God's five priorities are vulnerable kids and families. Before it gets to there, and five out of ten at the best, and seven out of ten at the, at the worst, are headed that direction. And God says, I care about these. I'm calling you to engage with, mother, with widows and orphans, with the poor, with the strangers, and with those that are in prison. Engage. It's where my heart is. Engage. I'm calling you. Engage. And then, as we've been praying for wisdom, he's saying, and, yes, you've got to deal with what's happening today, but you can get out ahead of it. And by fulfilling these things, we become those that raise up the foundations of many generations. We rebuild the old wasted places, and we, call, we become called the repairer of the breach, restorer of streets to dwell in. God loves our cities, and he's giving us a strategy to save them. And it's so simple, we miss it. Now, it is not convenient we have not been called to a kingdom of convenience. In fact, we, Jesus has some things to say. Jesus is hardcore about this. I'm going to try to soften it. No, I'm not. Then the king will say to those on his right hand. Now, this is in red. I should have printed it in red. You know, for those of you that maybe aren't initiated, the red words in the Bible, and some of these are Jesus' words. They're the direct quotes of Jesus' words. Well, these are in red, so... Just hear it in red, okay? You know, the color of what he bled for you. Okay, then the king will say to those on his right hand, I'm usually not that hard heavy handed, but it felt good. It felt good. Yeah! Jesus loves you. Mm. Okay, then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come! <laughs> That's the most manipulative thing I've ever done. I never do that. I never do that. Oh, I mean, it's true, but the way I said it was gross. Forgive me, Father. Oh, wow. Okay. Then the king will say to those. <laughs> he does. He loves you so much. He loves me so much. You still like me, right? Okay. All right. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you, be blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty. You gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. This is all five of them again. That's all five of them again. It keeps going. And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in? Or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, insomuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Wow. 
And then he will say also to those on the left hand, you depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I didn't even prepare it for you, but apparently that's what you want. Because I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you didn't take me in. Naked, you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison, you didn't visit me. And they will also answer him and say, but Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and didn't minister to you? And he'll answer them, I say assuredly to you, insomuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you didn't do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This would be a harsh word if we served a God who didn't give everything. But this is an invitation because we serve a God who gave everything and still is in us seeking to serve us and to save the lost. So this this is not a hard word for us if we will respond and say, well, then, Lord, give me more grace and show me the places where I am not walking in step with what you've called me to be called me to do. As we take this step, then the strength comes. Then the grace comes. Don't go, don't respond to this emotionally. Respond to this faithfully. Father, where are you asking me to clothe you right now? Where are you asking me, what stranger are you asking me to take in? And this is a family word. Don't hear this word only as an individual. You need to hear it as an individual, but you also need to hear it as a family because you were not saved unto yourself. You were saved into a family. And I want to unpack that a little bit for you. How am I doing here? I got five minutes. Okay, Hebrews 13 is really a great one, and it's awesome. You should read it sometime. (laughs) Romans 12. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, all of the rest of Romans 12, I'm not going to read it, but you can go and verify because you're good Bible scholars, all right? The whole rest, the whole rest of this scripture. So let me say, so he says, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The whole rest of this chapter is about how all the different parts of the body work. If, you're, if it's unto service, give with all of your heart. If it's unto prophesy, prophesying, prophesy well. If it, and it just goes on and on and on. And it lists how we together as the family fulfill this word, which is our reasonable service. So why do I say that? Because we are called to together answer this call that we're meeting God's priorities. How many of you know there's seasons of life? There's times where it's just like, Lord, are you asking me to open up my home? And if he says yes, you, you do it. But there's other times where you go, wow, Lord, I don't, that's a hard work for me right now. Are you asking me to do that? He goes, no, but I am asking you to support somebody who is. You see that? And later, your life may open up and, in a way, and, and he will say, okay, that season's over. Now it's you, baby. You're running point, okay? That's between you and the Lord. But I say that not in a, not in a dismissive way of like, oh, so, you know, work it out and have some knowy feelings about it. No. 
No, you go before the Lord and say, Jesus, I know you've called me to engage with these five priorities to show your kingdom and to prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. Do you see this? You see, as we do this, we're proving to the world what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That these five things are taken care of by his people because he cares about that. So it's not just, oh yeah, we believe, we believe that stuff should be handled. No, it's like, no, we do that because we believe that it should be handled. And here's how we do it together. You, you see that? So there's a response that is demanded by God in regard to these things. And it is not a mystery as to what's on his priority list. Amen? Now we're engaging in a lot of beautiful ways. We've been engaging. Why don't you guys go ahead and come on up. We've been engaging through an amazing initiative through every child. And as we've been doing this purposefully, we have seen God move to give us some very strategic ways that together we can fulfill these commandments. Not separately, but together. Because it's, you know what, saints? It's only possible if we do it together. That's the beauty. He didn't say do it alone. He said do it together. Everything that we do is as a family. Isn't that beautiful? Now, as Angela is getting prepared to share, I do want to let you know there's a very cool response to one of these those that are in prison, uh, those that are marginalized, the widows and the orphans. And we have some lovely saints in this house right now that have responded, and I want to give you an opportunity to sew into that. And that is Isaac and Abby, why don't you stand up? They're getting ready to go to Lebanon and care for uh, Syrian refugees, children in a Syrian refugee camp. They're going to go and they're going to be helping to put together some infrastructure to take care of them. They're going to be doing some one-on-one. -on -one, and they're also um, looking to go and, and uh, put up some playground equipment and some other accoutrements to help bless kids. They've already raised uh, all their own funds and actually just mostly paid for it themselves to go. That's all it, right? Yeah, they just paid for themselves. They didn't raise funds. So they're going to serve. Where we can get on board is to help pay for the playground equipment, which is about 200 bucks. And then there's several other projects that the team would like to do. But that just goes directly to bless Syrian refugees. So if you're into that sort of thing, they'll be at the end of the room with a basket. And I just encourage you to give as the Lord would help you. So we are a multitasking tribe, aren't we? You guys can grab a seat. God bless you as you go. Angela, tell us about how we can engage in some meaningful ways with uh, some of these priorities. Sure. Uh, so I am here with Safe Families for Children and Every Child. So I'm assuming most of you have heard of Every Child. Joshua has been talking about it probably for a year or more. Um, all the different ways that we can help engage these vulnerable children and families. So the main crisis right now within DHS is there aren't enough foster families. So we have too many kids in the system and not enough families to take care of them. Your church has already stepped in in a lot of ways with every child to help. You have raised up new foster families. You have an amazing family support system to support those foster families. You are engaging with DHS. You guys just did some beautiful makeovers uh, in the West 11th office. So you have already stepped up in a lot of ways to that call to say, how can we engage? Um, Safe Families is one more program of every child that is going to ask you to step up in maybe ways that are going to stretch you a little bit. Um, Safe Families is the preventative program of every child. We are looking to support families and children so that foster care is never, ever needed. Um, Safe Families is a national program, so it started in Chicago in 2002. Um, out of a need in a foster care setting, they kept getting calls saying, how do we, can you take care of my kids? 
And DHS would respond, well, no abuse or neglect has taken place, so no, but call us if there is any, and we'll take your kids then. Well, that's not, that's not ideal. And uh, Dave Anderson realized there is a need to support families before foster care. So he started Safe Families for Children. Um, what it is is we raise up host families who are willing to take other people's kids into their home for a short period of time while a family is experiencing a crisis. Whether that's homelessness or hospitalization or lots of other reasons, crisis happens to families and if these families don't have uh, extended family, they don't have a church family, they don't have a good network, a bad day, a bad week, a crisis can land their kids in foster care. So we're saying how can we help engage with these families, support these families before that happens. I've got a short video and then I'll explain a little bit more. lost, depressed, I was scared, I was lonely. I kept praying, like God, I need you to do something. We got nothing to eat. So I went to Kroger's and I got a loaf of bread and I got a couple packs of meat and I got caught. I felt like God was answering my prayers. I went to jail and then I had to go to a halfway house and I would never forget it my son getting on the phone and breaking down and crying. And I knew right then and there I had to do something different. I got to find him somewhere that somebody will take care of him until I'm able to take care of him. We got a text and um, it was for a nine-year-old little boy and it was for a potential six-month placement. And we had just finished a placement with two little girls and we were kind of like, should we take a break? I, I remember plain as day, um, we went into our bedroom and we knelt down. We didn't want any kids older than ours. Uh, we didn't want real long-term placements. We knelt to pray to explain to God why we weren't gonna do it, but that didn't work. There's a little boy that doesn't have a home. He needs a place. And we kind of just looked at each other and what else is there to be said? Yes, we'll take him. When they took Bossy in, they literally took him in with love. I said to Emily, just take care of my baby, please. He said, I will take care of him. And it lifted off of me. I knew he was gonna be okay. Safe Families is not just a, a babysitting situation. Right. It's not just taking care of the child. Safe Families is here to show the love of Christ through just walking through the stresses of life with a mom who does not have the support that she needs while their children are being cared for yes. in a safe environment. If my daughter needed help, I would step in and help her. If some of these moms need help, they don't have anyone to turn to. As a host family, we have been just dramatically changed ourselves in the last 18 months that we've been doing this. It has changed our lives and we've seen so much more of Jesus here. It's just been a really natural way to open up our home and keep families together because kids want to be with their moms. It will cost you your time, it will cost you your energy, your money, but our experience has been that the blessings far outweigh the cost. God has given us exactly what we've needed. It has forced us to rely on Him to provide for us. We've been married 12 years. We've had kids for 10. This last year has been the best year, period. Period. What an example of being able to share God's love. Um, the one scene in there where they 
kneel to God and say, God, we just can't do this right now. Like, there are lots of reasons why we all need to say no. God says, but I want you to say yes, and I will prepare you. Just like Joshua said, if you say yes, then he will give you what you need. Um, it's just one more, like, yes, God might be calling you to it. I don't think everyone is called to it, but I do believe that God has called a few families from this church to step up and say, yes, I can take kids into my house. Um, and we have a huge need in Lane County. Uh, you might have heard these statistics before, but last year uh, in Lane County, DHS received over 9,500 calls that they had to investigate for child abuse. Of those 9,500 calls, over 1,500 children spent time in foster care. Hence the crisis. <laughs> we don't have enough foster families. But it's the other number in there, those 8,000, 8,000 times that DHS was called, that someone cared enough to make a report, but they didn't quite need foster care yet. They need support, but they don't need care. Those are the families that we want to support. Nationally, DHS is the number one referral source. They're the ones who see these families. They get the calls, but they say, foster care is not needed now, but they do need something. These kids belong with their moms and dads. If at all possible, they'll do better with their moms and dads. Um, foster care is not God's vision for families. Sometimes it's necessary, but we have an opportunity to step in to prevent that, to restore those families before foster care is needed um, by showing God's love and opening our houses in hospitality. So, like I said, there's a need in Lane County. We heard the numbers. I get calls every single week. I get calls from nurses at the hospital with moms and new babies that need a little help. I get calls from DHS. We get calls from the mission. Um, we've <laughs> the earliest story we had was a, a mom staying at the mission with two one-year-old boys. Um, she needed shoulder surgery. That is, she is a good enough mom in so many ways, but after shoulder surgery, you can't hold two one-year-olds for six weeks. What do you do? You just need a little bit of help. Um, ideally, we would love to have host families in every single area of Lane County, in Cottage Grove, in Junction City, in Harrisburg, in Bethel, so that when I get a call from a family at Laurel, their kids can stay in the same neighborhood. We don't have to disrupt their regular life as much as we possibly can. And right now, we just don't have enough. So that's the call. We just need more host families. I understand that not everyone is called to that. We don't want to guilt you into it, but if the Lord has been pressing on you that this is, might be the time, I want to encourage you. You guys here have also set up an amazing family support network to say, how can we support foster families? Well, how can we support these same host families? How can we support these bio families? If you're interested in engaging in some way, there is a place for you, even if it's not just becoming a host family. I'm going to share real quickly. On a seat near you, hopefully, there was a little card when you came in. It's an every child card. On the back are ways that you can engage. Um, Safe Families is one of those options, and I want to encourage you to look at those other options on there. If Safe Families isn't what, it, what you're being called to right now, is it foster care? Is it respite? Um, can you just make a meal, something else to engage in a little bit? Um, if you have other questions, well, actually, come up, we're going to have a little Q&A here. Um, just one other thing, at the end, I will be in the back media room if you have other questions, but. Well, um, isn't this cool? 
man, this is so, so cool. Um, so, Angela, this is different than foster care. I really want to emphasize that. How is, this, how is this different? What are some of the practical differences here? Well, first and foremost, these kids are not in foster care, so they are not um, words of the state. This is 100% voluntary. So you are volunteering your time. You're not going to get paid for it. Um, you are also working with a parent who is voluntarily giving their child up. So there's a lot to be said in that piece. Um, you get to say no <laughs> if you want to, if the placement's not right, if the timing's not right. And they're usually short term. So we've done placements as short as one night, two nights, a weekend, as long as six or seven weeks. Um, but that varies. And that just depends on your time, your family time, and what you have available. So what kind of training and background stuff do you have to do in order to become a safe family? Yeah, so we have a process. It's not quite as arduous as going through to become a foster family. Um, but we do an application. We take references. We do a background check. And then we do a short home study. What we want to say is there's a parent here who's giving up their child to a complete stranger, and we want to have enough knowledge about you as a family to say this is a safe place for you to place your child. And so who can do it? Do you have to be married? Do you have to have a certain size of house? Who can do this? Anyone can do this. <laughs> um, well, you, you have to be, you're supposed to be 25, although we have taken younger. Um, we want you to have stable housing, um, to have a place for a child to sleep. It does not have to be a designated bedroom. Um, you do not have to be married. You do not have to have young kids in the house. You do not have to have old kids in the house. If you're empty nesters and you think that you could have a place for a kid for two weeks, we would welcome you. And, and too, you were talking about having people in place that could be a support system for you. So if you are single but you have people all around you, you have good friends that could help out, maybe you have family already around in the area, that's a good measure as well. Um, also, so I, I, I want to ask you, why are you challenging the church in this area? Besides the fact that we know Jesus, and d d you know, besides the obvious, well, we should love because Jesus calls us to love, why is the church a good fit for safe families? Pretty much your example of um, your family support systems is why this works. Uh, foster family burnout is like the number one reason why parents or why families stop doing foster care. We're very aware that this is hard work, that you're taking someone else's child into your home, and if you do it alone, it is going to be even harder. So the churches, you already have this massive family here. You have a 100 aunts and uncles that you can ask for help. The church is a community already. You're already a family. If we place two more kids into this church and that workload is absorbed by everybody, it's not very much work for a single family. And that makes it possible to help serve lots of families. I love that answer. So because the church is a family, we're able to do amazing things that we couldn't normally do if we weren't a family. Do you guys get that? Isn't this a beautiful thing? So here's, here's what I want to challenge you with. She's going she's gonna to do an orientation over here in the media room. And, and uh, I really encourage you to come ask some questions, get some more information on it. But here's what I, here's what I really want to challenge us with. For a very long time, much of the church has viewed the, the, the reason we viewed the state and the government with some antagonism a lot of times is because we say they're doing too much. They're doing too much. The church ought to be doing this. So here's an opportunity for us to put our money where our mouth is here. 
If we really believe the church should be taking care of the children and not rely on the government, this is precisely where we need to be because these kids don't have to become wards of the state. So I really want to encourage us this. that Man, this, is, this I believe, is a heaven-inspired strategy that the Lord's given. So let's, let's find out more about it and let's open our hearts. Can we do that? Let's stand up together. Lord, we thank you for Angela. We thank you for safe families. We thank you for every child, for Kristen, and everyone in our community that has stepped up to this. Uh, Holy Spirit, we ask now that you would inspire our hearts to action. And Lord, I pray that you would give us enough faith to do just as Joshua said, to, to be able to respond even if our emotions aren't lined up yet but to trust that, that your strength will come in time. So, Lord, enlarge our hearts, enlarge our, our faith, and, Lord, help us to be a part of the solution to care for these vulnerable families. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that where you call, you always equip. And now we give you, we give you praise, Lord. We give you praise for what our brothers and sisters in the community are doing for what Angela and her family are doing. We ask for more grace and blessing on her and on this entire initiative. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Amen. Let's have the prayer servant team come. If you need prayer for anything, I encourage you to come. Get prayed for. And meanwhile, let's go back there and let's find out more about this. Thank